So another thing, I, another aspect I really enjoy about my job and living here is just that um, you can get a lot of what a bigger city offers, both in terms of you know where you work and um, oh, you know getting getting cult cultural events you know um, by just simply living in this area where we have two big universities and college towns uh, just to the north of us. This week, we welcome to the show Dr. Keegan Schmidt, who is a professor of earth science at Lewis Clark State College. We discuss the unique geological makeup of the Lewis Clark Valley, learn about some snails that are kind of uh, hopeless junkies to uh, limestone, and find out a little bit about what keeps Keegan right here in Lewiston. Hope you enjoy it, and without further pause, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the show, everybody. Today we have on Keegan Schmidt from LCSC. Um, happy to have another professor on. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good deal. How are you, Brian? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. Um, the baby's growing. Elliot is getting out of diapers slowly. Um, I never thought I'd have to convince someone to that it's better to poop on a toilet than in a their pants, but that's where my life is right now. It's hmm. a hard thing to learn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So Keegan, you are a geology professor I am. at LC. That's is right. that right? Do you do anything else or just uh, that keep you busy enough? Well, I do teach some other classes. So I have a, a, a general science class. We call it NS150 there. So I teach that from time to time. And I teach uh, a class with Nancy. Uh, I understand she's been on here before, so Nancy Johnson, and and uh, that is uh, geochemistry. So we combine chemistry and geology. Oh, that's really cool. And I teach a little bit of GIS, and that's with uh, with uh, Jenny Light, who is the uh, engineer slash GIS uh, professor there. So yeah, I get around. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you were. Um an advisor to a really, really good friend of mine, uh, Darren Schwartz. Yes. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> of, I don't know if One Darren's of our listening. really good students. <laughs> yeah. Darren's a, a good buddy of mine. Oh, very good. Yeah, it's been some time ago now, but yep. he always used to talk about you. Yep. Good really, things, I'm sure. I'm sure great. it wasn't all good. No, it was great things. He, he really enjoyed learning from me. I know that for a fact. Good. Well, he, we had a good time with him. <laughs> good deal. Yeah, and he's gone on to do pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So how long have you been with LC? So I think I just got my 20-year certificate. All so right. Was, I started actually in uh, January of 2002 is, is the deal. So coming right up. So are you originally from this area or did you move here for, for the position? Or So I moved here for the position. So I'm originally from the Denver area and went to undergrad in, Denver, in, uh, in Colorado there at Boulder. Um, but then I came out to um, Idaho to go to ISU for a master's. So, and I met my wife at ISU. She's originally from upstate New York. So, transplants hooking up in Idaho. <laughs> um, and then we moved to LA for, uh, so I could go to U USC for a PhD. And then, uh, and then yeah, this job opened up. And, uh, and it was Idaho. So, and my wife and I both love Idaho. So, so you've been you've been with LCSE for quite some time now. What was campus like back then? Has it changed quite a bit, or is it relatively the same? 
Oh, it's pretty similar. There's, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of new buildings, so certain things have been upgraded. We're a little bit bigger, but not that much. Um, but it has the same feel that it did back then. Yeah, the the changes are little, and they come and go, and yeah, but it's pretty much the same place. That kind of small campus yeah. feel. And the town hasn't changed much either in 20 <laughs> years, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> which coming from L.A., we were kind of looking for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. Good. I'm glad yeah. it disappo- didn't disappoint. I, I, I'm kind of looking for a little bit of change sometimes, right. too. Understandable if you're stuck <laughs> yeah. in a smaller town for a long time. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's how we kind of started doing this, right? Brian and I were both young kids that were like, oh, we can't wait to get out of here. It's, it's going to be awesome to leave. And then we, we circled back around to, it's really cool. But uh, Yeah, even though there isn't massive change, I mean... There's little things popping up every now and again. Restaurants come and go and and different places. I mean, Newberry Square just opened, and I don't know if you've been through there yet, but they've got a lot of neat shops in there. So mm-hmm. Main Street's, you know, it's it's coming back a little, but it's slow. Yeah, the change it is, is slow. slow. That's right. <laughs> I guess when we moved here, we were thinking, oh, maybe this will be the, you know, be up and coming kind of. And it hasn't. It's come up a little bit, but <laughs> not very fast, especially no. compared to the rest of the state right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which is actually a good thing. Right. It is. It's nice not to be Boise or Coeur d'Alene right now. Yeah, especially if you're looking to buy a house. Right? Yeah, I feel like the time is coming, though, I've, especially with COVID, um, you know, that you've got an influx of people that are just inundating this area that otherwise would have traveled to Europe or whatever for their their travel vacation stuff that are now going oh Idaho's pretty cool let's move up there but was was it a hard sell for your wife when when you decided to come up here or is she pretty on board with it no because we were you know we'd met in Pocatello and spent time there and po- we have really nice really fond memories of Pocatello so and you know the first thing I did when I came up here to interview is on the phone was tell her, Hey, it's just like Pocatello, right? Cause you just have all grassy Hills, you know, <laughs> it's all, all Brown in the summertime. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and she was sitting in LA and couldn't get, couldn't wait to get out. <laughs> so right. yeah, it was not a hard sell. <laughs> so, um, speaking of the area and, and the stuff outside and geology, um, did you know much about like this area? What was your uh, expertise in geology? What did you study specifically? Yeah, so I knew Idaho to some extent, but it was mostly the southern part and the central part. Okay. So just in terms of doing a master's and you know being involved with a program that's in the southeast part of the state, you get to know the geology around you know, a school that you go to in geology pretty well. And then I worked summers with the Idaho Geological Survey, and so most of that was up in uh, in South Central Idaho, so around Haley, Ketchum, um, and a broad you know region around there. But I didn't know the North very well at all. So actually, one of the fun things to do is get a job or go to school in a place where you don't know the geology because you're going to learn it. <laughs> so half the fun is, is learning the, the geology of a new place. Well, shoot, so. when you hear you're going to a place called Hell's Canyon, that's kind of got to be exciting as a geologist. <laughs> yes, yeah. So Well, and circling back to that, I, I actually had had you for a class sort of because you, you taught part of the Hell's Canyon, uh, I forget the, the official HCI, title. HCI, so Hell's Canyon HCI, Institute. Yeah, yeah. The Institute. Yep. 
Yeah, and you gave us a little bit of a tour of the canyon and and some of the geological features. So I have since forgotten a lot of that information. Of course. Could could you tell us about uh, some of the cool features of the canyon or maybe even this area? Yeah, and actually I can come I can circle back to a question that Brian just asked a, a little bit ago, which is what do I what did I know about the area before I moved here? So when I was down in L, at USC in LA, um, I focused on the Peninsula Ranges, uh, Bathleth, which comes up through uh, Southern California, and then runs down the spine of Baja California. So my uh, dissertation area was down in Baja California in the Sierra San Pedro Martir, um, and the geology there is very similar to here in Western Idaho. In that um, down there and here we have. Um, there are exotic islands that have uh, collided with the continent <clears throat> and have been sutured onto the continent. Right, and these are back in Mesozoic time. So they're Jurassic and Cretaceous time. So roughly, you know, 100 some million years ago. So when this area was forming, there were their own islands that kind of got sandwiched in as everything was coming together. Is that right? Yeah, so you're dealing with, we call them island arcs. So they're chains of volcanoes that are uh, that form out in the middle of ocean basins. And then through tectonics, right, the plates are all moving around. Um, they end up uh, colliding with the, uh, with the continent, with the North American continent. So is that where we get a bunch of the basalt, or is that something else? So, well, there is a story there, but our, the basalt that we see is much younger. Oh, okay. So it's all Miocene in age, which is... It's mostly around 15 million. Sure. So I mixed up my Mesozoic and Miocene. So. <laughs> but there's plenty of basalts in the, uh, we call them the accreted terrains, these islands that, are, that were attached on in Mesozoic time. Mm -hmm. So the, the accreted terrains, because they're oceanic, have lots of basalt as well. And what, uh, what areas around here are, were formed by that, those islands? Yeah, so the, the, the trick here is to get below the young basalts because they just cover everything. Oh, I see. <laughs> so we have a lot of young basalt around here, if you haven't noticed, right? <laughs> and in fact, that's the character of the valley, right? It's all the basalt. And so, that's from Missoula flood, floodplains? Or what was it again? Well, the Missoula floods uh, pour across those basalts, right? And they're okay. all nicely exposed now because the Missoula floods stripped off much of the soil and sediments that lay on top of it. Okay, but that was mostly to the west of here mm. in the Scabland. We call it the Scabland where it got stripped off. So the, the, the uh, Columbia River basalts, which are these new Miocene ones, these young Miocene ones, are part of the uh, Snake River Plain Yellowstone area. So Idaho has this great volcanic story just because that whole uh, Columbia River Basalt, Snake River Plain, Yellowstone system is almost all in Idaho, right? So, and that whole thing started going around 17 million years ago. And it's, it's a hot spot. So you get um, regions in the mantle where you've got hot, hotter mantle than the region around it, probably uh, generated at the core mantle boundary. Um, and then these, these uh, plumes of hot, mantle then start to rise you know buoyantly through the rest of the mantle and then as they come up right so one way to melt rocks regular rocks is to decompress them so it's decompressing as it comes up and so you get these massive melts and that's what we see around here in the pacific northwest is the columbia basalts which are these the arrival of the plume at the base of the the crust and then afterwards you know it kind of focuses into a sharp plume and then the plate moves over that sharp plume and it cuts a track across the Snake River Plain and sits under Yellowstone right now. Hmm. 
And can you, are those geological features kind of more obvious in Hell's Canyon because of its depth? Or? Yeah. So the tricks, so back to your question. Sorry, I got off track there. Oh, that's all <laughs> no, right. I think we threw in a whole bunch of stuff yeah. at you at once. <laughs> That'll probably happen again. So in order <laughs> so to see the older rocks, right, you got to get below all this young basalt. The Columbia, you got to get below the Columbia River basalts, right? So most of Hell's Canyon, right, the upper part is, you know, a big, thick sequence of young basalts, the Columbia River basalts. And then usually there's a big bench there because they erode very differently as the river cuts through them. And then the lower canyon, right, the inner canyon is a very sharp, narrow canyon, and that's into the uh, into what we call the basement rocks, which which there are the uh, are the uh, these accreted terrains, these island arcs that came in and collided with the original continent. Hmm. So yeah, great geology and great exposures, and it's all desert, right? So it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always just think it's odd when you're in the canyon, like how. There can be some rock that is so just dull and sharp, but then there's all this other rock that's smooth and covered in this like patina and it's like really glossy and, and really different looking. Well, and then you've got a great river story, right? So the cutting of Hell's Canyon and mm -hmm. yeah, and then the the just having the water and the rock and the desert and the <laughs> big fish and <laughs> right yeah it's very cool <laughs> yeah and it's also just bizarre too when you go from like this area which i guess otherwise would probably be more similar to like the features of the canyon if it weren't for like all of the trees that we've planted but like even if you go out to the Asotan slough you can see cactus yep or cacti i guess multiple cactus <laughs> and uh cactuses cactuses <laughs> cacti uh and, and and there's scorpions out there. Yeah, and it's super deserty. That's or right. <laughs> you go back. You go back on the Amnaha, and it's it's. You look like you're in the American Southwest. Yeah, exactly. Like New Mexico or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty cool area. It's a great area. <laughs> so, so how long had you been a part of that HCI? Uh, since it started, which would have been, I think 2009, or somewhere around there. Gotcha. Yeah. So was that was Patricia Keith still with Elsie at that time or did she retired and then kind of started afterwards? So she, well she, I no she was still teaching during that time I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she hadn't retired yet. And I believe most of that was her efforts. Yeah, I think she's so. the one who really got it started. Yeah, and and yeah. that's how I was sort of involved in that. I was helping her um, on her film that she's making about Basque shepherd or sheep herders in the canyon. And uh yeah, it was. It's such a cool class and a really unique class, and you get sort of all those different disciplines in one in one class, and it's really cool to to go and experience that. But like I said, you learn so much; it's it's difficult to absorb everything and retain it all. But it is really cool. It is, um, yeah. What year did were you on that? Oh, that was probably like sixteen. Oh, okay, sixteen, yep. seventeen. Yep. Yeah, like well, that. she's been involved with it ever since. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, she was my because they give everybody a sort of little advisor for whatever project that you that you choose, and she was my my little advisor. And sure, we went to uh, BSU and got into the archives and looked at some stuff and went to the Bass Museum, and it was cool. And I just I had no idea of anything about that history or really any of the history of the canyon. And Brian and I want to do an episode eventually about the canyon, but it's cool to touch on this stuff because it is really interesting. Yeah, actually, that museum is great. It really is. Yeah, yeah. and they've got a restaurant. That whole area there. around there is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, it's a cool part of town. It is. Yep. 
with classes at LCSC, I know a lot of the teachers have, uh, a lot of the faculty have their students do projects, research projects, or, you know, so do you get any, do you ever try to get funding to do research projects, or do you just have your students do um, their own research projects? Well, it's a mixed bag, and part of it depends on how, um, how much the students want to invest in it. Right. So, you know, for for a student who's willing to put in a lot of time and investment, <clears throat> it's really worth going after the the funding. And a lot of times the funding opportunities kind of come and go. So part of it is just watching to see what's out there and then judging, you know, what kind of experience, what kind of students do I have and what kinds of experiences are they are they looking for? Yeah. So I was going to ask, what are some of the cool projects that they've done? Well, let's see. So, uh, well, so one of the more recent ones <laughs> was with a with a, a U of I group, um, and they are um, um, snail biologists. So we went <laughs> snailing with the U of I <laughs> biologists, <laughs> and uh, so this was an EPSCOR funded project. So um, we have an NS. We're in. We're in a. Idaho is a is a one of the states that's on this consortium uh, for NSF, a special funding um, opportunity for some states that are basically unre- underrepresented in terms of funding from NSF. So most smaller population states fall into this category. But we had a uh, so we got a, a we 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 collaborated with this U of I group, um, and they're evolutionary biologists, so they're studying land snails, um, and this was in the um, Salmon River Canyon, so over by um, Lucille, so just, just north of, of Riggins, on the, uh, or right next to the, uh, the Salmon River. So we were looking at the same rocks over there that are in Hell's Canyon, um, and then the really fun thing was is that, that the, uh, the snails really care about the rocks, so... Snails like uh, limestones, calcium carbonate, mm-hmm. right? And and so the the project was really the overall project was really to see whether oh and so so the deal is is that you get different types of snails on different uh, rock units even if they're the same composition right even if they're all limestones right hmm. at different locations so then the question is well what's the deal is it because of the resources right the the chemicals that are in the soils and the in the rocks and that the uh, that the snails are absorbing and so it affects their shell growth or something so is it a resource issue or is it strictly just a, a genetic issue okay so do they just you know separate each other out into uh, onto different rock units and then they you know kind of evolve separately on those different areas so that's really interesting it, it, it's interesting to mention that because uh, you know on the east coast um, a lot of streams have limestone features in them, and for whatever reason, and I've never known why, but fish really like it as well. Brook trout thrive in limestone streams, so I've always wondered why is that? Why why do they like? Is it just because the the nutrient that comes off the and minerals that comes off the limestone? Or and I don't have an answer for you for that one. Hmm. <laughs> I thought maybe it might be sorry <laughs> a, a snail adjacent answer. <laughs> no, <laughs> at least not one I'm coming up with. <laughs> well, that's the fun part about research is a lot of the times going out and getting to be in the field, especially if you're in a place like the Lucille and near Riggins and in those canyons. There's uh, you don't need an excuse to go out there and explore, but when you have one, and you know when you can get 
at least travel funding and at most, you know, minimum wage for a while. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, that's that's fantastic. I always enjoyed doing that. We didn't get to do as much with the air, but at least we did get to get out and go around go. and look at stuff. So it was an important project, or it is an important. It project. is. Hey, we got a paper published, so that's pretty <laughs> exactly. cool. Exactly. But yeah, that snail research. I hear sometimes it's a little slow going. But. Oh jeez. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I had to. That's that's what I bring to the I, show. I honestly did not see that one coming. <laughs> I'm surprised because we've been doing this for a I year. I should have, but I immediately thought of I'm snailing away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he said snails. Oh no. Huh. That's cool. So, is that ongoing research with the snails, or is that kind of concluded at this point? It's in a lull, at least at this point. So, mm. yeah, we were involved with. So, the student I was working with, and and uh, we were in, we're, we were doing the uh, soil sampling and the um, characterizing the rocks and sampling those, and got chemistry back with those. And so, we were just the earth science part, and then the snailers did their snailing. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so I imagine, at least for people in the geological sphere. They've probably been able to continue doing research through COVID because, I mean, you're outside, you can distance yourself. Um, so that's probably kind of unique in terms of like the research throughout the disciplines that, that you guys are probably still able to do stuff, or is that not so much the case? So I, I work parts of most summers with the Idaho Geological Survey still, um, and they're just up in Moscow. So, uh, but yeah didn't even slow down for <laughs> summer cool. field work, you know, because it really doesn't matter when you're out there. Yeah. <laughs> Might miss a conference or something. We, we had a little bit of rigmarole over, you know, what the rules were and everything, but they were really easy to, <laughs> easy to keep. So there were some things like we couldn't all just jump in the same rig. We had to drive separately, but sure. It really didn't slow anything down. Well, your students that you get, um, Obviously, they get you in that NS-150, right? Now, do you get a lot of people coming into LC, like, I want to do geology? or And is what's the what kind of degree do the students, the geology students, come out with? So a double-parter double question there. How many students do you wrangle and convince, and, and then uh, what's the degree they get? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to take the first part first, and that is what kinds of students do we get? And the fact is, is that because of the way K-12 is set up, set up, and this is mostly across the country, um, a lot of students just have no clue that there's any careers in anything related to earth science. They know the biology part and some of the chemistry and physics, but yeah, that's the big struggle is to get, that, to get the word out in terms of careers in earth science. So there are a few. It always surprises me. It's like, oh, gosh, how'd you learn about earth science? It's the best kept secret out there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, most most folks get recruited in some way. So either they take an intro class and they're recruited that way, or, you know, it'd be nice to use Health Canyon Institution to recruit, but most of you folks, when you take it, are you're, are, you're almost done. Yeah. yeah, so it's a matter of getting the word out there. So. Field trips help, you know, community field trips help. Um, I run trips in the canyon for, the, for community members when, when we're not in COVID. <laughs> um, so that gets the word out. But yeah, that's, that's a challenge is, is, is doing that. So because in Idaho, Washington, and across the country, like I said, there's, you know, most students maybe have one class in earth science. 
And a lot of the the more science savvy and interested students will often skip those classes and stick with biology or chemistry or physics, right? And not get any earth science. So yeah, well, that's think, a shame. I think they offered geology at LHS when Brian and I were there, um, just before we were there actually, and then I think they pulled it. I think Carlin used to teach it maybe. I don't know. I don't remember it being offered. Yeah, I, I think I wanted to take it, but they had like removed it from the, the course catalog. Actually, he teaches it now. In fact, he does dual credit for <clears throat> LCSC. Oh, that's so, really nice. Yeah, so I work with him a little bit on on that dual credit side for our intro class. Cool. Yeah, so yeah, at least we got that in place. <laughs> nice. So is it an earth science degree that they come out with then? Yeah, so we have a straight earth science degree, and that degree is really quite um, broad in terms, well, it's a broad subject, right? Because <laughs> earth science encompasses oh, sure. environmental science, you know, space science, atmospheric, you know, it's <laughs> it's just about everything. <laughs> So the idea is, is that there's some core classes, of course, you know, especially in math and chemistry and physics, and then the core geology part, um, just because we need to establish some basis to begin with. But then the students have quite a bit of leeway in terms of what else they want. They can build more of an environmental side. They can take this environmental uh, geochemistry class, um, for instance, and hydrogeology, so more of a groundwater uh, background, Um, and they could choose GIS instead, so which this is ge- geographic information system. So it's computerized mapping, but it but it's really about spatial, um, uh, examining spatial relationships. So um, they can choose that, which is a great job area right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it has been for a long time and will continue to. Right. Um, so, the, or they could choose a straight geology, right? And part of this is whether they choose to do some kind of research or internship um, and so I just described one research project, but there's many, and then we often have students line up internships for students. Where would they intern? So I just lined, okay, I have one of my students lined up to, with a, uh, it's a work, she's in the work scholar program, and she's just been uh, brought on to Department of Environmental Quality uh, downtown, actually. Oh, that's cool. great. So, and she's mostly starting right now, so she'll have three or four years down there. So it'll be a great internship for her. Oh, that's super that's awesome. useful too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's nice to get your foot in the door right away. Connecting yeah. learning to life. I know when I was, <laughs> geez, I know when I was looking for jobs, that definitely would have been very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then we have a, it's a, again, it's coupled with chemistry. We have a, it's actually in, uh, delivered in the chemistry program. Um, and it's our geochemistry emphasis within the chemistry program so and that degree really couples um, geology and chemistry those students get all the analytical background from uh, chemistry um, so they take um, instrumental and analytical that's right when i was going through those classes there were a couple of those students in there with me right yeah and really for for folks who are really interested in the environmental science uh, side we really um push them in that direction so that they have a really strong analytical chemistry background. And it really sets them up nicely for, for, uh, for careers in that, in the environmental science industry. Oh, I can imagine. So, so in terms of GIS, have you been able yet to implement, um, like drones into, into mapping and, and using that as a tool? No, we haven't, but 
those are coming. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so Jenny Light is our main um, GIS person, and she has some, uh, some pretty big plans, and they include drones. So part of this is actually coupling with the... Uh, with the technical side of the college, um, and she's basically bridging um, in the in the process of bridging the two sides now, and especially with GIS, because there's a both a technical GIS side and a and the uh, and the analytical and the sorry the uh, academic side, which she's been teaching in and I've been somewhat involved with. Yeah. So it's 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 time to couple the two, and part of it is is getting the drones out. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember kind of you know when when drones were starting to become more readily avail- available for you know normal regular everyday consumers, and uh, I went to a conference. I think it was the NWAX conference. I I studied social sciences and anthropology in specific, but I was at that conference, and this guy did all this mapping of this site using a drone i thought wow that'd be really cool for gis for all kinds of different things and that that was the first time i had seen that um and i really wanted to take gis but it just never lined up to where it was going to work with school or work or whatever because of the the hours that it was offered but it it would be a cool class most students should take gis yeah (laughs) it's good to put on the cv for sure there is almost no disciplines that don't that can't involve gis Mm -hmm. (laughs) and some way more than others and the the those would surprise you Mm -hmm. things like business yeah (laughs) yeah well i'm sure i mean like if you want to monitor like foot traffic or like look at all these different scales of things i'm sure you could use a lot of a lot of GIS in there, but, but yeah, like for anthropology, site digs and, and that kind of thing. And of course, geology, but yeah, I, I was interested if to learn if you had kind of gotten drones in there yet, but sounds like that'll be soon. Yep. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick break to tell you about our new Patreon account. That's right, OSP fans, you can now directly help us fund this show and get access to exclusive content. For more information and to learn how you can support the show, head to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. Now back to the show. Well, you've been teaching for uh, 20 years. I mean, longer if you include grad school. Um, what... What do you like about it? What What's kept you going? Well, I think the number one thing is you just connect with students. <laughs> you can take everything else away. And the, the, the topic is really to get excited about something, right? <laughs> Show them that, that there's some really cool things, you know, and see them get excited about things. But it's really about connecting with people <laughs> when you really come down to it. Yeah. And teaching at LC has got to be... I almost think it'd be better in some ways um, with that low student-to-teacher ratio so you get a lot of time with your students. Um, that is probably the main reason I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I like teaching at a small college where yeah. I know all my students really well. <laughs> yeah. And what's really neat about LCSE, too, is the quality of educators that we have. I mean, yourself included, but I mean... So many of the faculty have impressive backgrounds. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a neat place. Well, that makes it fun, too. Yeah. <laughs> I get to connect with the faculty, too. And it makes it really fun. Well, yeah, and like right. you said, like, there are a few professors that I had that weren't just 
over the top enthusiastic about whatever their field of study was and relaying that information to you, which made it a really cool learning experience and, and worthwhile. Um, and like you said, it's just great for the students to, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way about like Nancy, but my advisor, uh, Dr. Allison, it was great to get to know her over that time. And you, you kind of always have this like personal cheerleader for yourself and then you get minors and then you get even more cheerleaders and it's a cool experience. It's a, it's a great college. Yeah. Yeah. Good to hear. It really is. So I think my first geology lesson with you, uh, considering my, my, I haven't had any at LCSE, was on rafting trips. Right. We would go rafting, and uh, we'd say, Keegan, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> that looks cool. Tell us about that. And Jenny would say, oh, it's just another stupid rock, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that was really fun. It it was rafting something you started when you moved here, or you seem like you'd like many outdoor activities, but... Um, yeah, that's true. And I actually got into boating when I met my wife, <laughs> Karen, oh, okay. in Pocatello. So she worked with uh, with C.W. Hogg in, at ISU there. So that's Cooperative Wilderness Handicap Outdoor Program. She has a background in, uh, in uh, disabled um, outdoor recreation. Oh, that's neat. So she was there doing that. And so when I started dating her... Um, I could go rafting. <laughs> <laughs> I see. That's where it comes from. And it's from. a great deal. <laughs> but that's really where I got started, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but before that, is, are you much of a hiker, backpacker? What's your kind of go-to? Climber? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking skiing. about it. Uh, skiing. Nice. <laughs> thinking about it, climbing would go pretty good with geology, too. It does, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see a... Uh, when, when I go to fish um, the snake, I always see guys that are climbing these different routes that they've made. Um, I'm assuming it's basalt right across from a Soton. Yep. On that. Hell's Gate climbing area. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a great cool. place. I didn't really know that that was a thing until I started seeing people up there. And I did a little bit of research on it. And apparently, there's several established routes out there that you can go climb. Well, there's that one. And then the new one that's really getting going now is out on highway 12 it's actually it's the same it's the same basalt flow it's the pomona flow that makes those really cool um, columns there that are really fun to climb Mm. yeah but just out by evans road on highway 12 you see the same really nice columns next to the road there so have you put in a route before or like put in the little i don't even know what you call them to to hook into the, the hooks have you done that before yourself? You have a friend with a drill. <laughs> <laughs> and you drill. They're just regular uh, concrete. You put say, in expansion bolts. It's probably extremely so. difficult in some cases. Is bas- well, it's an electric drill. Yeah. So, no. It, <laughs> it goes fast. It goes pretty quick? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, can you climb those areas at all times? I mean, like in the summer, can you do it? Or is it just Oh, Hell's Gate is our, main, is our main winter area. Mm. And then summer shuts it down. It's just too it's dang just too hot. hot there. Burn your but hands. then we go over in the shade at Roadkill over here, and and that's our summer area. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of winter, you don't want to be anywhere near it. It's cold and wet, right. and <laughs> miserable. Yeah. No, that's we have great climbing in the valley now. Yeah, and then there's like the climbing gym in Moscow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's Grant Point. Yeah. Further mm-hmm. downstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it, it seems like um, in the last several, well, like four or five years, 
climbing's gotten more popular in general. Um, I, I worked at Tri-State Outfitters here in Lewiston while it still existed all through my undergrad. And, uh, you know, we got all this climbing stuff in, and I was like, nobody is going to buy this. Yeah. Why did we get all this? And soon after that, like, people started coming in and buying all this stuff and asking me, do you have this? Do you have that? And I was like, uh, I don't really know what that is, but I can show you where the right. stuff is. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it actually did pretty well. Yeah, um, all right, good. Good to hear. And then, you know, I'm sure stuff like Free Solo, that probably helps right. the cause. Right. And people <laughs> wanting to get that in. That one made my palms sweaty. <laughs> yeah. It should. <laughs> yeah. That guy's a psycho. Makes my palms sweaty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That, for anybody that doesn't know, is free climbing so climbing giant <laughs> peaks without ropes the don wall and uh, uh, alex honald was his name the guy's name and yeah it's it's pretty pretty intense to watch well and his his uh whole resume of stuff that he's climbed and done is pretty impressive and pretty cool to to dive into but yeah, yeah. so i've been climbing since i was a kid and it's been on and off but you know, I've really seen the whole sport change. It's just evolved and evolved and evolved, and and, and uh, it's just amazing. So, the things that you know, what was a big deal back when I was twenty, is like you know, the, there are trade routes now that get you know <laughs> hundreds or thousands of people on them every year, you know, and just regular joe blows you know <laughs> on those things and now it's all about you know free solo and um <laughs> no thanks you know <laughs> 515 now you know 513 was a big deal when i was f first getting into it what is know? that 513 so it's just the rating system how oh, hard okay. it is yeah so obviously when it was first created in the 60s you know 510 was going to be the hardest thing it would be next to impossible and of course, everybody climbs 510 nowadays. So one great thing about getting older in that sport is that um, the gear has just kept on evolving with it. So the gear is just amazing now. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can almost climb what I used to climb when I was much younger, you know, and much stronger. But the gear makes up for it. <laughs> just in terms of like clothing and like footwear or like yeah the big thing is shoes yeah so the shoes have evolved um and then a lot of the gear has just gotten way way safer mm. so when i first came started into climbing they just come out with the very first cams so they're they're camming oh, okay. devices that you stick into cracks and then they cam so they hold when you fall on them mm -hmm. so and now it's like oh there must be i don't know 20 different companies making cams and you know, all the limitations that the first ones had, they're, you know, you look at them now and they're just, they're, they're clunky pieces of metal, but the new ones have all these new features that just totally put those things, <laughs> you know, they're, they're old, they're, they're, you wouldn't use them anymore. <laughs> yeah, so. that's cool. So, you know, you mentioned like people are getting more and more into this all the time. Is that like frustrating or when you go to climb these routes that you normally would have went to and there's nobody there or is it? Like kind of neat in terms of like a bigger community or? It's frustrating when you go to a big climbing area because they're crowded now. Yeah. Yeah. So if you go to something big like, you know, Smith Rock out of Bend or Yosemite Valley now, um, they're crowded. But what's happening is that, you know, everybody's putting up routes across the country. So if you watch something like Mountain Project on the web where a lot of these things get recorded, 
you can see communities all over the country are just developing like crazy. So all these new crags are being developed and new routes going up. So it's fun. <laughs> so in a place like Lewiston, you know, circling back to a place that <laughs> not a whole lot new happens in, in a place like Lewiston. Well, it's great to have people out climbing and go to the crag and there's a bunch of people there, you know, <laughs> talk to them. And, that so. is neat. And it's probably not going to be overcrowded here. No, I, I think it's just like being overcrowded just in general and in, in, in town here. I don't think that's quite going to happen like it is in Boise <laughs> and other places. No. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking of Yosemite, um, and I think that's what I'm thinking of is correct. There's a volcano there, correct? Or is that yellow? Oh, that's Yellowstone. 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 Okay. Yeah. Easy to mix up. Easy. To, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but we talked about it. How worried should I be about that volcano? Oh, Yellowstone? Yeah. <laughs> he laughs. I'm nervous. <laughs> so my intro class students actually calculate. It's a little GIS project, okay, right? So they yeah. look at, they use Google Earth for it, but it's basically a GIS project. So they look at the uh, at the ash plumes, right? Because we have deposits from the big three eruptions that have come out of um, the modern caldera there, which is Yellowstone, right? Because it's been sitting on the hotspot now for a couple million years. Um and then they calculate the recurrence interval, right? And it comes out to something like 700,000-year recurrence interval. Right. You know, and then just devastating eruptions, right? <laughs> yeah. So they don't, they don't hardly ever happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if they do happen, <laughs> right. and you're in the wrong place. <laughs> and when was the last one? It's about 700,000 years ago. <laughs> but those recurrence intervals, you know, <laughs> they're plus or minus a heck of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid on the news there for a while, it was in the cycle of we should be worried about Yellowstone. It might, it could erupt at yeah. any moment. But it, it's a little bit up there with uh, being worried about meteorites. Yeah, I was just going to make that comparison. Yeah. I you know, was wondering. Devastating when, it, when, when big ones come in, right? Yeah. <laughs> but how often does that happen? Right. Eh. You yeah. got better things to worry about. Definitely. Well, especially <laughs> now. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, that is really interesting. But when that goes off, it's, it is going to be quite the event. Yeah. So we're, we're upwind from it. Oh, that's something. <laughs> if you just look at prevailing wind directions. Okay. Now, that doesn't always work that work so well, you know, because there's a lot of ash that comes out awfully quick. So if you have a east wind blowing through, that might change it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. Um, well, that reminds me, um, where were you? Were you in the area at all when Mount St. Helens went off? So I was in Denver then. Oh, okay. I was a kid back then. I was in high school. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So and and was, we had a little bit of ash in Denver. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah, I knew it would have been close to high school, college, but I'm not trying to age you. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Man, ash all the way down. The, yeah, that was kind of crazy, too. Um, yeah. So in your time since starting at LC, has your class catalog kind of changed, or have you basically taught like the same classes throughout that time? So my, a lot of my core classes have remained the same, um, but there's some other classes that have cropped up. So a lot of GIS has cropped up since then. Um, some of my intro classes have changed a bit and more towards the environmental science. Um, 
Yeah, I'm stalling because a lot of my teaching is in still a, a, a core that hasn't, I mean, I've evolved the, the classes a bit, but uh, the classes remain, yeah. That's pretty cool because um, then you can kind of really just dig in and, and get really good at teaching those classes. Yeah, so a lot of my classes are on, because I'm the only full-time earth science faculty, My cl- a lot of my classes are on a two-year rotation. Mm. So. I have a lineup of classes and it's actually nice to have for many of them to have a year off and then come back and pick it back up again. It's kind of refreshing actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't have any classes that I teach every single semester. Oh, so, that would that, be really nice. Yeah. You won't get burnt out on them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are, um, what are some of your favorite things about this area as far as you know what kind of structures we have and and formations i know that we've talked about the basalt but i'm sure there's other things too so the basalt actually will surprise you so there's an awful lot of basalt and you can get really overwhelmed with (laughs) a lot of boring basalt but the basalt is pretty cool just from the standpoint of the the size of it it is and the like you said the columnar the way it comes out and forms it's it's really and there's there's different kinds of formations with it and yeah and much of it is what basalt can do so and we have lots of evidence for that in fact a lot of the understanding of big basalt flood provinces like this one the columbia river basalts um these are the 17 million year 15 million year basalts um or a lot of our understanding of how basalt works, how eruptions work, how lava flows work, um, how they interact with water um, when they when they do um, comes from uh, from the from the Pacific Northwest. So, and is it basalt that is characterized by having the conchoidal fractures when it fractures? Well, you, it tends to make those columns, which are are in their ideal form, are six sided. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are cooling fractures. So as the as the sheet of lava that's been in place solidifies, right? It's got to cool down from almost two thousand degrees Fahrenheit in once it turns into a solid, down to you know fifty degrees for the ambient outdoor temperature, and it has to shrink about ten percent um, during that that cooling while it's a solid, and it accommodates that shrinkage by just simply breaking into fractures hmm. so the fractures actually grow from the bottom of the of the flow up and from the top down and then they meet somewhere actually a little bit below middle so so there's the basalts then we have the really big floods mm-hmm. so well, we have the cutting of hell's canyon which is long before the floods but in lewiston here we have the bonneville and the Missoula floods and of course the Missoula floods were backfilling into the uh, into the valley here so they swept across the scablands of, of uh, eastern Washington and then backfilled up into the valley here but it's pretty rare to get both of those floods one on top of the other so we have that here um, and then we have all the older history which is mostly what I work on which is the accreted terrains and then um, the rest of Idaho that lies off to the east and north of us, right, which is the uh, the North American continent. So starting with Archean rocks, so 2.6 billion year old rocks, um, and then event after event after event in terms of the evolution of the continent, okay, and then the accretion of the uh, the island arcs off of uh, the Pacific right, in uh, Mesozoic time, and then the eruption of the Columbia basalts, and then the uh, the Pleistocene floods. So. 
it's a great place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't know if you'll know the answer to this question or not, but do you know what it is? Is it something about like the geological features or, or makeup of this area that makes it pretty fertile, like in terms of like the Palouse? So yes, um, and actually it's a mix of volcanic um, of volcanics. So we do have the basalts, and the basalts have some nutrients in them, um, but the really nutrient-rich soils, uh, volcanic soils anyway, are, are, uh, are volcanic ashes. Um, and we actually have a fair amount of ash around. So if you get out with a, with a forester, soil scientist, they'll be out looking at soils and you know they'll auger into a, take an auger sample of a, of a soil and they're looking for um, volcanic ash horizons in the in the soil. So part of it is is, is just get, gaining an understanding how old the soil is from those ash horizons. Um, but we have quite a bit of ash um, in our soils in the Pacific Northwest, and they're obviously coming from, you know, the Cascades. Um, but also this whole uh, yellow, you know, the Columbia uh, basalts don't have they weren't erupting um, these really. Um, you know, explosive ashes like are coming out of Yellowstone, but the track across the uh, Snake River Plain, basically ye older Yellowstones coming going across the Snake River Plain, were erupting lots of ash, and those are actually interlayered into our basalts. In fact, you have one just down the hill here. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, on Peasley, and you can see it. It's a, the white band. Oh right, there. yeah. You know it. Okay. <laughs> That's really neat. So that is probably a uh, when Yellowstone was back around Twin Falls. Um, it's the cougar something tough. Anyway, very large eruption, Yellowstone scale eruption, and we weren't down. We weren't upwind at that time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were downwind during, yeah. but that was about twelve million years ago. <laughs> 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 so, but you can see that it does depend on which way the winds are blowing when that thing goes. <laughs> so yeah, so that that really contributes to our soils is having these these really explosive eruptions as well. And then we've got all the, uh, we call it LUS, which is the uh, silts that make up the, uh, you know, the prairie to the south of us and then the uh, Palouse to the north of us. And they're mostly windblown. Um, they have to do with the ice ages. So you have lots of winds on the, uh, coming across the ice sheet to the north. And then the uh, ice sheet, of course, is discharging all this sediment from Canada, basically. And it's all ground up in the glacier, right? And so a lot of it's ground to this very fine powder, which is the silt. And then it blows all over here, right? And so it's a mix of all different rock types, and it has lots of nutrients. So, yeah, fertile soils, lots hmm. of them. So another question I have is, as you travel, like, west and then south, you see, like, basalt regions like we have here, but... Why is it that when you travel east, like let's say around like the Loxa or the North Fork of the Clearwater, you don't really see like that sharp jagged basalt because it comes from the Missoula floodplain. So I would think it would come from the east, right? Yeah. So this is where the older continental history plays into the newer events. So if we think of the Columbia basalts at 15 million years ago being the newer event, Okay. Okay. I got the you. older accretionary boundary, right, between Pacific islands accreted onto the North American continent. Yeah, there's a very different um, crust between the two. So one is big, thick continental crust, really old, really buoyant. Okay. And then to the west here, we're sitting, you know, it's below us. 
is what was originally thin oceanic dense crust. It's been modified a lot back when it was a volcanic island arc, um, but it's still reasonably thin and it's still reasonably dense. And so that boundary between the two, we call it the suture zone, right? Okay, played a played a role, we're not quite sure what it was, but it played a role in terms of where the Columbia River basalts would erupt and where they wouldn't. Hmm. So for one thing, the continent to the east is more buoyant and stood high. So that was a mountainous region even 15 million years ago. And so the eruptions that were happening just to the west here, you know, flows were flowing off to the, to the east, but then they were lapping up against those mountains. Gotcha. And then most of them were flowing off and, and actually made it to the Pacific as well. Gotcha. So, yeah, older events control younger events. So then the valley is kind of at the crux of this, like, unique area where there's, huh. Yeah, that's what cool. makes it great. Old, new floods. <laughs> yeah. Another cool thing about the valley. Right. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> awesome. Well, speaking of uh, cool stuff about the valley, um, I'll let Brian get in a couple more questions too. But I, I'm just curious, what what are some of your favorite things about the valley in general, outside of geology and academia? Is there and possibly even outside of COVID? And possibly even outside of COVID. <laughs> well, I like to play outside, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's lots to do around here, so that's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. It's nice to live in a small town. So, and so especially after being in, well, I grew up in Denver and of course that's turned into a nightmare in terms of traffic in a big city and then have lived in LA and another big city with horrible traffic. And it doesn't take too long sitting in traffic <laughs> before you f- figure out that you'd really like to live in a smaller town. <laughs> so yeah, that's one nice thing about the Valley. Um, but it's kind of off the beaten path. It's actually nice to be in a place that isn't on a major freeway. You know, you just don't, the, the, the people coming through here are, they're, they're basically, they might be going somewhere else, but they're, they're, they're to some degree, want to come through here. They aren't going out of their way <laughs> to avoid it. <laughs> so on, on a freeway town, you can't say that. So right. that's gotcha. a nice part of it. Yeah. It's nice being next to two towns to the north of us that have big universities. So another thing, I, another aspect I really enjoy about mine job and living here is just that um, you can get a lot of what a bigger city offers, both in terms of, you know, where you work and, um, oh, you know, getting getting cult- cultural events, you know, um, by just simply living in this area where we have two big universities and college towns uh, just to the north of us. So that makes it a nice, a nice deal as well. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. I wish that... Uh some of that cultural stuff, and then also just better restaurants. <laughs> well, would yes, you tri- have to drive. trickle down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and we we go through them. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> we get yeah, nice we restaurants, but they they tend to move on too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like Amua. Talking about Newberry, Amua is one of my faves. That's yeah. that's a newer place that's different and and really good. Yeah. It is really good. Yeah, I should go over there for lunch this week sometime. <laughs> Oh, man. So you mentioned that Hell's Canyon was cut before all those, the 15 million year events. No, no, no. no. So so the up. salmon and the clear water were certainly here. And parts of their original drainages um, in the upper um, 
in the upper parts anyway, are very similar to what they were probably 15 million years ago before the basalts came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, but Hell's Canyon, so... It was the floods, cutting, before the floods. Before the yeah, floods. That's what I, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So around two to three million years ago, um, pro- Hell's Canyon probably was a, uh, a tributary to the salmon mm-hmm. and that just drained, to the, drained the park to the south. And with time, right, rivers uh, erode headward, and it integrated through, and around two to three million years ago, it, it, it broke through into the Snake River Plain, which at that time was a big lake. So we had uh, Lake Idaho um, on the Snake River Plain, which basically formed in the wake of the hotspot. So as Yellowstone, as the hotspot tracked to the, uh, to the east there, um, this big lake, it kind of waxed and waned through time, but um, formed behind it. Um, and then figuring out that drainage has been a little bit of a interesting problem is where, where Lake Idaho originally drained. Um, but, but at two to three million years ago, it cuts through, um, this little tributary cuts through and then it makes for- Hell's Canyon, right? And really becomes this really big river. Yeah. Not, not only that, but the deepest canyon in uh, North America. Yeah. So it's amazing what water can do. <laughs> it is. And a little uplift. Yeah, that'll help. That'll help. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Um, I really appreciate the geology lesson on your day off. Or, no, you probably worked today. (laughs) Hey, you asked for it, so you got it. If you don't ask me any geology questions, I won't say anything. (laughs) I'm better for it. Yeah, we all are. (laughs) Yeah. And we all know now that the geological makeup of this area is another cool thing about where we live. I hope everyone was taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate having a chance to talk to you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for coming on. It was nice to see you again. We, uh, we always like the opportunity to talk to, uh, the, the staff from LC because Brian and I are both, uh, alumni there. And, and, and like we were saying before, we just really enjoyed our time. So yeah, it's a great college. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks, Keegan Schmidt, for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll have you on again maybe in the future. Great. Well, good night. This episode of the show was brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks for listening.